Hi everyone, I'm Paola Diana and this is Unleashed, the Game Changers. Today our guest is an incredible journalist, an author who published several books and her latest book is one of my favorite, Feminism for Women. Thank you, Julie Bindel, for being here with us today. It's a pleasure, thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited because I was reading everything about you and your life is really, truly remarkable and incredible. What you're doing for women and girls since decades is incredible. Honestly, Julie, I, I say thank you to you and I think everyone should do the same. I know that you also funded Justice for Women. It's an organization that helps women who end up uh, uh, killing men who are actually uh, uh, abusive towards them. Can you tell us more about this and what, of course, uh, made you become such a strong and fierce feminist? Well, I have uh, other feminists to thank for that, of course, we all do. And I met feminists first when I was 17 years old, when I moved to a city in the north of England called Leeds, where the movement was very vibrant. And the women there prioritised campaigning to end male violence. Domestic violence, what we call femicide, which is the murder of women and girls because they're women and girls, rape and sexual assault. And the reason why this was prioritised was because although, of course, there are other feminist causes, such as that for equal pay, maternity leave, this is the one thing that unites women everywhere. Yes. Women and girls everywhere. There isn't a female on the planet who hasn't either had the fear of male violence or, unfortunately, experienced it at some level, yes. whether that's flashing or what used to be called indecent exposure. I've never met a woman who hasn't actually experienced one thing that we would call violating, such as sexual harassment in the workplace, yes. or even being harassed on street, right through to rape. Uh, and, and other serious crimes. So the other thing that's important in terms of my foundation in feminism that was happening at that time, which was the very end of the 1970s, was a serial killer by the name of Peter Sutcliffe, yeah. who was killing uh, and leaving for dead women in the north of England. So he had killed women in Leeds, where I was living, and one of the big problems with the police investigation into him was that they decided at first that he was killing women because they were in prostitution. So they just looked around the red light areas. They didn't really care about the women in prostitution. So they didn't try very hard it's to terrible. catch this man. Indeed. And it was when he killed a woman who was clearly not in prostitution who was in fact a 16-year-old girl from a middle-class family, they decided to take it more seriously. But by that time, the media had reported on this man's deadly uh, actions as almost as if he was cleaning up the streets, almost as if, in fact, very blatantly, as though there were deserving victims and women who asked for it. That's horrendous. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, yeah. a, it's an attitude, isn't it, yeah. that we, we live with. We understand our behaviour is scrutinised. Yeah. I mean, if you were to go out this evening, uh, get drunk, come home in a cab, 
you would be thinking to yourself, oh dear, what if something happens? But if something did happen, God forbid, you would be questioned as to your behaviour. Exactly. What you were wearing. Quite. And just any kind of sexual behaviour that women uh, might display. And this was happening in Leeds when I first found feminism. Sexist media reporting, police inertia, despite the danger this man posed. Unbelievable. And, you know, I mean, we, we understood that we had, we were living through extraordinary times because it was rare, it's still rare, that serial killers managed to remain undetected for so long. He yeah. killed 13 women and left seven for dead by the, time he, by the time he was detected. But we understood that what we were looking at in the response to his actions was a culture of misogyny. The stone had been lifted yes. and it came running out. So men on buses if they were making passes at women, if they were sexually harassing women, and if we told them to go and get lost, they would say, we hope the Ripper gets you. His oh name was the Yorkshire Ripper yeah. from, through the press. Or they'd say, I might be the Ripper. And they enjoyed it. Some of the men really enjoyed scaring women. So it wasn't just about what this killer was doing. It was what? It was the attitudes. Of course. Uncovered. And you were disgusted by the, that, of course. It, it was appalling, you know, and, and, and it was why, I mean, to, to kind of answer your original question, it was why in 1990, so some 11 years after I'd met the feminists, and by which time I was living in London, that a small group of us decided to set up Justice for Women. And it was actually because we had seen how men who killed their wives, their female partners, were excused, treated sympathetically even. But when a woman hit back to save her life, usually she was convicted of murder and sent to prison for life. That's terrible, honestly. I actually think that more women should fight back, honestly. I personally, I'm a martial artist, and I think everyone should be trained. No, I, I tell you, I tell you the truth, Julie, because you know, first of all, women are much stronger than what they know, you know, and uh, and in case someone attacks you, I mean, he, he better have chosen the <laughs> the wrong one, because you know, I mean, if not, he, he will have the reaction that he deserves. I think that's the, you know, self-defense uh, is self-defense. I, I absolutely understand. Unfortunately. Um the courts tend not to see it like that. So if you, um, as a woman, you're being strangled. This is a common way in which men keep oh, women yeah. in a state of abject terror. Like, I could end your life now. And often, of course, they do by using those means. But for women's being strangled, and this happens all the time with the Justice for Women cases that we deal with as campaigners and as lawyers. So she... Usually this attack happens in the kitchen. She leans backwards and picks up a knife and stabs him. The court will think, well, he was only using his hands, but she used a knife. It was disproportionate. And it's so incredibly rare that a woman is successful in a defence of self-defence. 
if she's lucky, and this is usually by the time we get involved and take the case to appeal after she's been convicted, she may have her murder conviction replaced with that of manslaughter, which is less serious. But very rarely do women That's so unfair, use self-defence. That's so unfair because uh, men usually they're much stronger than women. So they p their body itself, their strength, pose a much you know, bigger threat. It's, it's the strength, but it's also the fact that violent men, yeah. of course, because this isn't natural or innate, yeah. boy babies are not born programmed to harm girls and women. It's a culture, yeah. It's a culture, exactly. And it's learned behaviour. Yes. So it's not just the physical strength, although that's important to note. It's also his sense of entitlement. It's the psychological abuse he uses on her yeah. so that she is terrified of him even before he's laid a finger on her. And if we think about the way that women curtail our lives by deciding if it's safe to go out, deciding what to wear if we're in a situation where something might happen to us, yeah. warning our daughters that something might happen if she's not vigilant, that level of social control on women and girls doesn't come about because every man stands over us with a gun or a knife. But enough do yes. to keep us in an inferior position, which is why feminism is important, because we say, no, yes. we're not going to be curtailed. We will not be frightened. We will march on the streets rather than being kept in the home Terrified. Terrified, exactly. And we will challenge the institutions that allow men to get away with this. Well done. Yeah, but it's true. So what unites us is actually that we are victims of, uh, you know, male violence. I always say that, you know, we shouldn't call it domestic violence, mm. right? It, it doesn't come from the roof, the violence mm. doesn't come from the walls. Mm. It actually comes from uh, the majority, vast majority of the cases uh, from men. It's male violence. We have a problem. Our society has a problem, a huge problem mm. with male violence. No, it's true. Mm. And, and actually what, what we do when we call it violence against women and girls is that we disappear the perpetrator. Exactly. So it's male violence against women and girls. Yes. And language is important. You're right to say that we shouldn't really call it domestic violence. Feminists over the decades have tried to reframe it but it becomes too cumbersome so violence from men known to us is never going to look snappy yeah. on a document or you know it, it, we understand what we mean when we say domestic violence it's problematic but one thing that feminism has achieved is it has certainly in in the western world it's looked at the danger that women and girls face in the home. So all of this nonsense about don't go out at night, ladies, stay at home. It's dangerous for you to be out at night. You might meet a predator. Well, there are plenty of predators in the yes. home. And that's where we're more likely to be killed, it's true. raped and unharmed. It's true. It's terrible. You know, personally, I mean... I'm lucky I, I wasn't facing anything too serious, I'm still alive, but my father was quite violent, so I, I lived in terror. 
I was terrified when I was uh, a child and, and I still remember when I was 14, I, I look into his eyes, it, it was all the time he was telling me to look down mm. when we had, you know, uh, like an argument. That time I found the courage to look him in the eyes and I said, you know, I will call the Telefono Azzurro is the number, you know, for children uh, in Italy. And, and I will tell everyone who you really are. He was Good. a very famous, you know, and professor and doctor. So he was quite, you know, has quite a good reputation. And I think that was the thing that stopped him then from, from being worse, from doing something worse. Good yeah. for you. I mean, was he yeah. violent to your mother, do you mind me asking? Uh, she never admitted that. Never. <laughs> never, ever. Uh, she was on his side. Uh, I, I think it might have been. It was definitely emotional and verbally right. violent. Uh, sometimes she had to, you know, lock herself in a room. It, yeah. it was, uh, it was, was quite scary. Yeah, it, she was scared. I was terrified. Yeah. It is terrifying. I mean, I, I remember, I mean, my, my father has never been violent. Um, but I remember my grandfather, who was violent, to my grandmother. And I never saw the attack. But I could see her fear. And I could see his dominance. And it was so clear to me that she was completely under his thumb. And after she died, she died when I was 13 years old, which is a terrible tragedy because we could have talked once I got into adulthood, became a feminist, understood these things. But I heard from family members that he had broken her jaw. He'd pawned her wedding ring to buy beer or whatever. And he was a bully. And that growing up with that leaves us in a state of anxiety. I Absolutely, think. yeah. And you know, the problem is that many times they're not one hundred percent bad. You know, in violent, mm -hmm. they after the rage episode, they they come down and they ask for you know uh, mm -hmm. for you to forgive them. Uh, maybe they cry, and so then a lot of you know women. I, I never ever you know, justified or excuse my father, mm. but a lot of women do that. And my mother definitely, she did. Yeah, and that's why they stay there, you know, it's a circle. Mm. It's a vicious it circle. It is, it is. And I think one of the most important lessons that feminism has taught me, and it's also a hard lesson to learn, is that women collude in our own oppression. Yes. And the reason why we do that is because we are the only oppressed group on the planet required to love our oppressor. And so we have, you know, um, fathers, sons, male lovers, That's husbands. Right. And it's different from other oppressed groups because you can, if you're a person of colour, if you're an indigenous person, for example, um, living in New Zealand, Australia, Canada, you can choose to stay with your own tribe. Yes. And you reject the white racist colonialists and you think right I've had too much pain in my life from 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 the oppression that they have um, uh, handed out yeah. to our to our people women can't do that this is why lesbians are such a threat to right. to men that really aren't very keen at all this is on the left and the right because we're saying look we might like some of you as friends but we don't wish to be in your control yeah. and we are rejecting you. Now, that's a very crude way of putting it because many men don't think like that at all. But some do. And so I think that women 
collude in our oppression to survive. We can see the danger that we're in when we're in those family relationships. And I'm not excusing women who don't protect their children as much as they should or who don't reject the violent man, but she's scared too. And she thinks that it's her fault anyway, because that's the lesson we learn from the minute we're born. And she thinks if she can just keep the peace, that it will be okay. And I've heard this from women who have known or suspected that their children were being sexually abused by the man that she's married to. And it's, it's terrible. It's, it's very difficult to forgive that woman. But we look at her more harshly than we do him doing the actual sexual abuse. You're right. That's true. And that's a shame. We shouldn't. Because actually the first predator is him. Uh, but, you know, and also a lot of women, I mean, I remember my mother, you know, she was used to that because for her it was normal. Actually, her father was actually worse, she said to me. Yeah. So it's, a, it's like a system, it's like a chain, a circle. We have to break the circle. Mm. And the only thing that can break the circle is feminism. You're right. Yeah. And it's so hard not to care if men like or disapprove of us. It took me a long time to really not be upset or worried about that. So when I was a young feminist, and men would say terrible things to me. Because of course I was an out lesbian under feminist in the late 70s, early 80s, when it was really hard. It was tough. It I'm was sure. tough, it was tough. And we had no laws to protect us and often our families rejected us and we were, I was sacked from jobs, thrown out of uh, apartments, uh, beaten up, um, sexually Just assaulted. because you were a lesbian. Because I was a lesbian. and. And that was hard. But I had a community of feminists, um, some of whom were lesbians also, where we could find solidarity, support. But it really did get to me when men would say things that they knew would be quite devastating and where they would withdraw their protection, actually, by way of saying you're on your own you're not you know you've rejected men you are not going to get my protection so when i was attacked one time i was 25 years old no 24 24 and i was walking home in london and it was quite late at night and a man said something to me really vile sexual and and I told him, I'm sure we don't need to use these words on your <laughs> on your show, but I'm I sure understand. that you're yeah. So I told him to do that, okay. and he hit me, Gosh. and it was a it was a punch he would have given a man. Such a coward. Yeah, he would. It was a, it was a punch that two men would give each other. Yeah. In, you know, equal very hard. It was very hard, and there was a man passing by. And he did nothing. He did nothing. And I think maybe that man would have done something had I not been a loud-mouthed, probably an obvious lesbian, in that I didn't conform to femininity. And an obvious resistant... I I was resisting his 
Yeah, so you weren't the typical victim, fragile. Exactly. Child. exactly. So, um, we, so men withdraw their protection. Gay men in clubs where a group of us were, were attacked by fascists who came into what they call queer bash. And gay men were just, it's the lesbians, they're not our tribe. That's terrible. It, it is terrible. Um, I've since met um, many, many good men, gay men, heterosexual men, who would not think twice about wading in and defending or protecting women. But I do think it's a scary thing to say, I'm not going to be under the protection of my father and I'm not going to go from his protection to the protection of a husband. And I'm not going to allow my son to be raised yes. a macho man who will also protect me if a man disrespects me in a bar. Yeah. What we're actually saying as feminists is we reject that male protection racket. We reject it. Yes. We demand that you stop other men from being violent. And that's all the protection that we need. Exactly. Ourselves, each other. We demand uh, that you become to be a human being, a decent mm -hmm. human being. Exactly. And not an animal. Yes. But that's why we, we still need to do a lot, I think, in order to educate our children, especially boys. I think we should have, you know, special educational programs for boys since they're young in order to tell them, you know, what to do and uh, how to behave and not mm. to use violence in any occasion. I agree, but the education that they have at the moment is pornography. I know. And from a very young age. So what do we That's do? terrible. Well, if, you know, if, I don't know if you, if you have children, but I don't. Yes. And, you know, my friends who, who've raised sons, they're great feminists, and often if they're with men, they're with men who are very pro-feminist. So they raise their boys. And then they go out into the world, to school. And the other boys have got pornography on their cell phones. And they're talking about girls in the most demeaning, disgraceful way. Yes. And the rest of the world is grooming this young man to become either a sexual predator, if you're looking at some of the extreme pornography, or someone who just has no respect whatsoever for, for girls or women. So if we say to parents, what you need to do is raise your sons so that he's respectful, how do we then send him out into the world when the world is a cesspit? It's true. What, what do we do? We have to challenge the systems, don't we? We have to challenge the pornographers and those yeah. that are peddling that to our children. 100%. I'm, I'm with you 100%. I think it's a huge problem in our society. And, you know, I'm also ashamed because uh, with the, this new algorithm, you know, and uh, IT, you know, new uh, discoveries, I mean, we could definitely stop children from you know, uh, seeing any type of pornography website. It's so easy. They just don't want to do that. No, they don't. They because don't. what they're doing is by offering free pornography, yeah. they're grooming them to become the exactly. pay-per-view pornography. Yeah. And that's how they get, uh, that's how they, they make money. Because the porn industry is about making money. Yes. It's not about sex, it's not about anything except for making money. And if you think about the tobacco industry, that's how, especially in developing countries in the global south, the tobacco industry, because we, of course, have completely clamped down on advertising, selling yeah. and, and smoking in, in, indoors. 
but some countries in the global south have not. So what the tobacco industry has done is target those countries and target young children because if you get them addicted young, you have a lifelong smoker. That's disgusting. It is. And I don't think pornography is addictive because that lets them off the hook. But it's habit forming. And it becomes a habit to look for more, for different pornography, for more extreme pornography. And the businessmen that run the porn trade know this. So it's all about money. Of course. And also it's really connected with sex trade, right? It is the sex trade. It's prostitution from behind a camera. And, and that's what it is. And, and of course, yeah, it's, it's money, money. And of course, the way that we make the money is to target the most disenfranchised girls and women on the planet. And they're the poor women, the voiceless women, the abused children that grow into adult women that are much more vulnerable than those with more privilege in life the indigenous women, those that the state really cares less about than middle-class, white, wealthy women who still are vulnerable to male violence. But the pimps and the pornographers know which girls and women to groom into the trade. And that's why when we see spokeswomen for sex workers rights as they call oh, it sex work yeah oh. they're, they're always atypical of women in prostitution they're the ones with doctorates they're the ones who are they were raised you know in a in a wealthy household they're white they're educated and yet they are the ones that are wheeled out to say hey i love my job sex yeah. work is work what's your problem and it's so unrepresentative of the women, the vast majority of women and girls. And there are, of course, some men and boys in the sex trade. Yeah, I know. No, it's, it's horrible. It's an oppression. It's a new form of oppression. It's everywhere because of Internet. So we're facing this new epidemic. I know that now there is a woman who's doing a lot against Pornhub. Uh, she's very vocal on Twitter as well. And I hope the Canadian yeah. government, uh, I mean, will act soon. Yes. But so far, they're letting Pornhub doing whatever they want. They are. But, you know, the one great thing about the women's liberation movement is it's global. <coughs> Excuse me. So it's global. We have connections in every single country on the planet including even Saudi Arabia. So there are feminists everywhere. So we connect. And of course, the internet has brought its own problems, particularly in terms of sexual abuse of women and girls, but it's also enabled us to connect in that way. So it's a double-edged sword. But what's really great about feminism today is the number of sex trade survivors speaking out and saying... I was abused in prostitution and I used to say I was a happy hooker. I used to say I enjoyed it, but that was when I was in it. And now that I'm out, I'm here to tell the truth. Now, the only reason why those women can speak out about something so traumatizing and so stigmatizing is because they are part of a women's movement. It's true. 
You're right. So they feel supported. Yeah, and it's the same with domestic abuse victims and survivors. That they come out and they say, okay, enough is enough. And they say to the police, we are telling you, you're not doing enough. When you came to my home, when my husband had attacked me, and you just looked in the cupboards to see if there was enough food to feed the children, and judged me in terms of how I was protecting my children, and didn't arrest him, this is what happened to me. He went on to nearly kill me. You know, these are the women who are the experts, who are survivors, who are speaking out against the poor performance of the criminal justice system and the wider society's lack of empathy or action when it comes to violence against women. It's true, right? There is so much, you know, empathy for men, whatever, you know, they want. But I I really notice still nowadays a a real lack of empathy, right? Oh, yes. I mean, this is... Why is is that? Well, because, of course, men are the default position. So we are used to putting men's needs first. Always. If there's a man in the room and he's the only man in the room, he will get more attention. Yeah. By far than if it's a room full of men and there's a woman there. Think about a university seminar or lecture. Yeah. Or a conference where there's one or two men amongst a lot of women because we're talking about male violence or other aspects that affect women. They will definitely be told... (coughs) You're a hero. They'll be congratulated (laughs) for being there. It's true. They'll be apologised to every time somebody says something critical of men. You're right. Always. So we're used to considering the needs of men before ours. And that's socialisation. So therefore, when you have judges that preside over a case, for example, a recent one a few months ago was Anthony Williams. Yeah. A man in, I think, his 60s, who strangled his wife. She got away from him in the bedroom. He ran downstairs as she was trying to get her key in the lock to run away. And he finished the job, killed her in the porch. Disgusting. Absolutely. And he was... This was during the first lockdown. I hope he would die in jail. Well, he won't because he said he'd been a little bit depressed because of COVID and lockdown. And that was the reason why he had killed his wife. Of course, there was no history of domestic violence recorded against him. But it was obvious from even just reading reports in the press that he was a controlling man. Yes. Now, he was given sympathy And he was given four years in prison. Only four? For manslaughter. Four years and a few months, I think. Surely that's terrible. It was terrible. And his daughter spoke about him saying that she didn't want him to go to prison for life. I mean, her reasons are her own. Her mother was dead. She probably didn't want the guilt of adding to his sentence. Also realising that your father is a killer, it's, it must be hard. Of course. 
But he was given that sentence for killing a woman because he was a little bit depressed. Then there was a man who recently, Sam Pybus, who strangled a woman to death. And he said that she'd asked for that's, this. That's outrageous. Yeah, the sex... The rough uh, sex defence. Yeah. No, he I... was given four years and eight months in prison because he said she'd wanted him to do that. But it's if, he'd, if he'd run her over in his car on his way somewhere because he'd drunk a huge amount of alcohol, if he'd run over that same woman and killed her, he would have got a higher sentence. But because he strangled this woman who was incredibly vulnerable... She had mental and physical illnesses and conditions. She was a very chronic alcoholic. And that's just two examples of cases we hear all the time. Now compare that to... How can we change these laws? Well, by pointing out the disparity, pointing out the outrageous difference in the way that men are treated compared to women. Goodness me. But the judges, they were male? In this case? Yes, but even if... I mean, most judges are similar, but even if they were female judges, they've often got where they have got because they have played the men's game. They haven't got to be high court judges presiding over a murder trial by being critical feminists. They haven't. They would never be in that position if they had. We're still on the margins when we're so outspoken. Yes. But there are jurors who absorb the mythology about domestic violence, about women, who think to themselves, why didn't she leave if things were so bad? And the case that we have campaigned um, on behalf of is one of Farisha Martin, who is actually about to come out of prison tomorrow. But she was... 22 years old with two children under the age of three when she killed her very violent partner and they convicted her of murder they just didn't believe her That's even terrible. though there was there was much evidence of the violence they didn't care they saw her as scum she's a mixed race woman a working class woman from liverpool they just thought you know they didn't give her a self-defense they don't no, no or even uh, diminished responsibility. Not because, even that. No. So she was convicted of murder. We stepped in, changed her lawyers, took it to appeal. And lo and behold, we find photographs from when she was arrested for murder where there were bruise marks all round her neck. So of course proved, he tried to strangle her. Which is what yeah. she said. But the police didn't give those photographs to the defence or prosecution, which you are supposed That's to. That's terrible. Exactly. So she served all that time away from her children. But what made it much worse was when she was given her appeal and it was reduced to manslaughter. She'd already served five years. We thought that she would be released that day to go back to her children. And the judge decided to impose a higher sentence than the one he could have imposed, which would have meant she walked free. So she went back to prison for six more months. Unbelievable. Poor children. It's, it's exactly, it's sadistic. It's sadistic, yeah. 
this society nowadays is still like this. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Many people, they just don't know that. This case was only yeah. this year, earlier yeah. this year. Yeah, I get mad when people tell me, oh, but women, they have everything, you know, everything is perfect. They should, you know, read your book and listen mm. to these cases. Well, the good news is how much has changed. So at the moment, we're in a terrible state with our rape conviction rate. Yes. With femicide, there are still, there's one woman every three days is killed by a man in the UK. So far this year, 133 women have died at the hands of men. It's terrible. It's, it's an obscenity. Yeah. But the good news is that more and more women are coming into feminism and more and more young women are finding their voices and are finding feminism. It's why I wrote that book. It's why I wrote my book because so many of these young women have been told sex work is work, yeah. stripping is empowering, um, pornography is liberating yeah. it's sexy to be strangled and spat at during sex it's sexy to learn how to do anal sex if he yeah. wants it all the messages about things that are bad for women as opposed to liberating for women so young women are getting wise to this and they're breaking free of the stranglehold that young so-called progressive men yes who say i'm a feminist who bully these women if they don't toe the line of sex work is work. Yes. So they're now saying, no, enough is enough. And they're finding each other. It's, it's, it's wonderful. So this is wonderful. Thank you for the good news. <laughs> I'm getting very yeah, we anxious. We need it. Exactly. We need good news. But how can we support your organization, Justice for Women? Tell us. Well, Justice for Women has always refused to apply for charitable status because we want to be hard-hitting campaigners interesting and you can't do that if you're a charity you have to be you can raise awareness there's lots of you can provide a service there's lots of things you can do but you can't very overtly campaign and we campaign to change laws hearts and minds well done and we protest about the things that we need to protest about but you accept donations anyway we accept no? donations and we it's all our work is voluntary and we have lawyers, journalists, researchers, but we all do it on a voluntary basis. And if anyone wants to um, help, you can have a look at our website and see if we need volunteers or donations or, or do something for us, like offer to update our website or... Perfect. Yeah. Write to the women in prison who we campaign for. Often they're stuck there with no visits. They're very anxious and depressed. Prison's a terrible place. I'm sure. And so it would be great to, to reach out to those women and uh, they can contact us to ask how to do that. Oh, that's great. So I hope many people would do that and I will do my best as well because I think you're doing a great job, honestly. So we need more Julie Bendel. <laughs> we need more. Not everybody would agree with you there. They all think one's <laughs> enough, probably, Paula. <laughs> I know, I know, you don't have only fans like me, but who cares? <laughs> Honestly, who cares? I'm yeah. sure your fans are much better than the other ones. You, you, you don't have to care, right? Well, somebody once said, if men approve of your feminism, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> but having said that, joking apart, we really do want male allies to come forward and say, okay, what needs doing? Yeah. And we would say, you know what, 
work with boys, talk to other men, look after the kids when your feminist yeah. partner goes to a meeting, but, but just support us. Don't wear a t-shirt saying this is what a feminist looks like. Yeah. They can yeah. be feminist allies by doing something and that would be great. We so welcome that. You're right. Especially fathers, they can make the difference because you know, yes. when, I, I, when I was uh, growing up, I remember when my you know, brother was violent towards me uh, many times, I was going to my mom and, uh, and the first thing she was asking me was, what have you done? The first yeah. thing. Yes. So it was always me. It was always me because I was too strong, I was too, you know, outspoken, mm. I was a rebel. Uh, so it's the opposite way around, right? Yes. We have to educate our boys yes. to never, ever use violence. Never. Whatever, you know, is the case. Exactly. Yeah. And, and also, there's a great example in David Challen, who I write about in the book, whose mother Sally killed her extremely controlling and violent husband after four decades with him. Gosh, four decades. And he was monstrous the way he behaved. He didn't so much use overt physical violence, but it was psychological control. Yes. And he was also sexually violent, which I think Sally at the time didn't even know was against the law because we only criminalised rape in marriage in, in this country in 1992. And that was because of the feminist campaign. There are still many yeah. countries around the world where it's perfectly legal to rape and to beat your wife, of course. But Sally uh, killed him in 2010. And she was desperate. She was clearly off her head after years of psychological torture. She was convicted of murder. We only heard about the case when her very kind, caring cousin wrote to us at Justice Women and said, can you help Sally? Instantly, her son, who was then in his early 20s, David, started to campaign for his mother alongside feminists. Fantastic. We've become extremely good friends. David now is one of those men that I consider to be a proper feminist ally because he didn't stop after his mother was released from prison having overturned her conviction for murder. Yeah. He continued. He sees this as a global problem, not just it something is. bad that happened to his mother. Yeah. That's why I respect him so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's an amazing story. I read this about in your book, but I, I think it's a social emergency, honestly. It is. It's a so. public health crisis also. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the extent, the prevalence of, of male violence towards women and girls, it's the most likely cause of serious illness and death yes. around the world. So what I say is all of it is preventable. None yes. of it is necessary or justifiable. Absolutely. There are some things we can't control. We can't control uh, pandemics. We, we can't stop them from appearing. Yeah. We can control social ills like domestic violence and rape. We totally can and we should. Yes. But of course, we have to invest more money, right? Because you have to educate you know, these children and then you have also to support violent men yes. because they need support. Well, they need to be supported if they're dangerous um, in a secure environment and they need to know that there are sanctions if they do it again. Yes, of course, I have no doubt that some of those men will need support for trauma in their lives. And I think that this is, this is one of the myths that all men that are violent to women 
have grown up with some trauma of their own. That's not true yeah. because girls grow up with far more trauma exactly. than do boys. So we'd be exactly. running we should kill page. everyone. Exactly. Why? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so but we don't. Actually, well, we don't. And, and but some, you know, men. Some men do carry a lot of trauma and pain. They've seen their fathers be violent, often sexually violent to their mothers, or even to them. And men tend to hit outwards. Women tend to yes. self-harm, take it out on ourselves, self-destruct. So, of course, those men need support. But they don't need to be told that the reason why they've raped or beat a woman is because they're ill. They need to take full responsibility for it and then get the support that they need for other issues in their lives that will help them become whole human beings again. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. No justifications, zero tolerance for violence. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. And also I was thinking, what do you think about uh, taking the men, the violent men, outside the house instead of the woman and the children like we're doing now? I, I think that's absolutely the right thing to do. But how do we keep her safe? How do we keep her children safe? Because he knows where she is. That's true. And to keep a woman in a room with a panic button, with reinforced windows, it's like she's in a prison. She's already been in a prison with a violent man because that's what it feels like. That's true. To be in that psychological prison. Sally Challen said she went from her husband's prison to Her Majesty's prison when she killed him. And it's very profound. But it's still, in principle, the right thing to do. But he would need to be contained and he would need to be monitored. And we don't do that. So So we should do that. We should do that. We have to do that. He is the problem, not her. Now, I'm very liberal when it comes to the prison system. I'm not liberal about anything else. I'm quite radical about other things. I would empty the prisons of everyone except for those dangerous offenders that pose a threat to other human beings. I think there are other ways to manage them. There are community responses to repeat offenders. Many women and men are in prison for non-violent offences. In fact, the majority of women are, absolutely. For non-payment of fines, for shoplifting, for drug misuse. They're not dangerous. They're not dangerous, but they need help. And I'm not suggesting that we don't deter people who are repeat offenders. If somebody burgled my house five times and nobody did anything, I would be very angry. So we do need to do something. But prison isn't the right place for those people. But violent, dangerous men who could be stopped before women and their children die, they need to be locked away until they no longer pose a danger. Exactly. And they can... They can be deterred. They can be contained. This behaviour isn't... They're not out of control, you know. When they go to the bar with their friends, when they go to work, they don't kill their boss. They don't beat up their friends. I mean, some of them might occasionally. They save that for the woman that is... That's true. He has under his control. Because they know they can do whatever they want inside the house. Yeah. It's terrible. Many of them, they kill the children. Yes. Even in Italy, I mean, everywhere in the world, I know. It's, it's terrible. What do you think? If we had um, more female politicians, maybe we would have different laws in this case scenario? You know, I think our laws are pretty fine. I think that our legislation is good. It's the implementation that's the problem. 
we have a rotten police service. It's not just a few bad apples. It's a whole barrel with a few good ones. Yeah. We've allowed police macho culture to dominate. If we had more female politicians, yes, of course, it would be a friendlier work environment for those women that feel in a minority. But it wouldn't really change the culture of misogyny. If you imagine the House of Commons, Prime Minister's Question Time. Yes. 50% women, 50% men. I would love that. Yes, and why not? And that's what we need. But it's not enough because who would shout the loudest? Who would speak the most? Who would be listened to? Who would have the confidence to put forward their ideas? The men, more than the women. Mm. We, we would, for, for so-called equality in Parliament, mm. we'd need at least 80% women. Yeah. And why not? Because we've had... Yeah, 100% not? men for I, a long I'm time. not uh, shocked at all, actually. Yeah. I think it would be a great change. Uh, we should try. But you know what? It's not enough to be women. No. Uh, we, should, we need the feminists. We do, because <laughs> women, we do collude yeah. with patriarchy. We can be our worst enemies. Oh, absolutely. And we think it's to protect ourselves and to get male approval, but it betrays other women. It's true. And I hope there is a special place in hell yes. for Was women. Madeleine Albright said yeah. this, didn't she? During the Hillary Clinton uh, yes, campaign. Yes. She's right. And this, this is another good example. Hillary Clinton, you know, the Clintons, in my view. The Clintons are the worst thing that happened to the White House. Trump is the worst thing that happened to America. The Clintons are... Oh, I could talk for a long time about the Clintons. And Hillary, there are some huge, huge problems with Hillary. But isn't it telling that for such a racist society that America is, that they appointed a black man uh, yeah, yeah. as opposed to just any woman exactly, anywhere? Exactly. Um, so yeah. it's, we, we have a long way to go before women recognize that we need to, to fight to get, we need to stand together. But also, you know, we always pretend perfection from women. We pretend to find Wonder Woman. You know, I understand that Hillary Clinton, she's not perfect, but uh, in my opinion, she would have been a, an incredible, you know, president. Yeah. Why but not? You're absolutely right. Yeah. You see, all that we, we had heard. Bush. Right. Of course. No, but you see, I would, I absolutely would have voted for Clinton. Of course I would. I, I was actually in San Francisco um, when Trump was, a point, was elected. And I was furious and heartbroken, like all of California. Of course, yeah. I was in the state where Trump was never going to be welcomed, obviously. And I was horrified, despite knowing how Hillary Clinton had colluded with her husband on some things that had been terribly harmful. But as you say, we have had far worse, far worse than, than Hillary Clinton. Absolutely. And the, these men do not come under scrutiny and they're not expected, as you have said, to be perfect far from it exactly so we should also be i think more gentle within ourselves right yes don't pretend that you know our sister she, yes. she has to be perfect uh, because uh, we're not perfect you know and men are not perfect we, we can do our best uh, to be the best version of you know that we can yeah but... can and and you know mm. a friend of mine said to me very early on when i was a very new feminist she said you know oppression doesn't make women nice 
If it did, there'd be something good to be said for it. Because there are so many women that are not nice. And yet feminism has to be for every woman. But we also have to live with the fact that most women will reject feminism. We need to not water feminism down to draw them in because then feminism means nothing. Nothing at all. It becomes meaningless. What we need to do is be enough of a strong army of women so that there are those women in countries around the world that don't really like the idea of feminism but that join in with us on a basis of need. That need being she doesn't want her daughter to be trafficked. She doesn't want to take yet another beating. She doesn't want to see girls married off age 15 in her community. She doesn't want female genital mutilation. So for all of those reasons, we can hopefully encourage women to come with us, at least on part of our journey, to challenge some of the institutions that allow these atrocities towards women and girls to happen and that give amnesty to the men that perpetrate. Julie, if you could speak with our Prime Minister and tell him how to stop once and for all domestic violence, what would you tell him? What he needs to do is put together a multi-agency approach so that school teachers, social services, medical professionals, police officers, prosecutors and all the voluntary services, including expert feminist organisations, talk to each other so that they know how to tackle this in a holistic way. Men need to be told that there are sanctions if they carry out domestic abuse against women. And also, those sanctions really need to mean business. They need to dangle the threat of prison, of losing their jobs, of having their car impounded, of losing their liberty. He needs to take it seriously because one woman every three days is dying. And this is an obscene figure. It is. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. I really would like you to come uh, next year, hopefully. And uh, so far, I'm telling everyone to buy your book because honestly, I think this is a great book. I learned so much. And I hope each one of you could uh, not only read by yourself, but also give it as a gift to your daughter, to your friends, to your son as well, because our boys need to listen to this and need to learn about feminism and why it's so important for women, for girls, for our society. Thank you everyone for being here with us today. I hope you like this conversation. Please share with all your social media and stay tuned. We will have incredible guests in the coming episode. Thank you.